Steelers fans, it's the DK Steelers Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter, joined by my friend and co-host, Dale Lolly. It's a happy Monday. It was a busy weekend. Dale, how you doing? We had a couple days off from practice on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, um, I'm doing great. I'll be getting back to it uh, this week as the Steelers uh, you know, barrel towards the start of the uh, 2020 season. The cutdowns will be uh, this Saturday. Uh, so everything is uh, right on uh, moving forward with, with all this. And uh, it won't be long before we'll be uh, kicking off the NFL season. That's fascinating about the, about the cut, cut downs. We'll be getting to that as the week continues. But I wanted to talk about a piece that you wrote for the website that, that, that's, that uh, I, I think needs, more people need to pay attention to. And you talk about the cornerback position and how it's constructed with the Steelers. For years, we've all heard the narrative, Steelers can't draft secondary. Steelers can't draft cornerbacks. They just don't know what they're doing. No, you know, everyone else is so miles ahead of them. But in your piece, you bring up some very interesting points. Yeah, I looked around the league and I, I went to a football uh, – one of the sites that, that projects starters uh, for each team, and I looked at it. And heading into this season, there are only seven teams in the league whose projected starters at cornerback are homegrown talents, guys that they drafted. And a couple of those are out of necessity. You look at, like, Dallas. Uh, you know, they lost Byron Jones in the offseason. Well, obviously they had to replace Byron Jones. So – uh, you know, they had a good secondary last year, but, you know, it, it, it you know, changes with, with this year. I'll be interested to see, you know, of those seven teams that, that have the homegrown talent there, how many of those teams rank in the top, in the top 10 or even the top five or, or you know, in, in you know, cornerback player or, you know, against the pass this year. Um, it's not easy to do, and I would have, I should have done this last year as well. Uh, but, you know, when you, when you look at it, um, cornerback is a position that teams like to churn a lot of guys through. Uh, you, know, you look at a guy like, for example, uh, Prince of Makamura. That guy's been more well-traveled than a FedEx truck, uh, but he's a starter everywhere that he goes. He's not a great cornerback, but he ends up being a number two cornerback everywhere. And, you know, you, you, you pay money to get those kind of guys. Maybe you have one guy that you drafted, and developed and the, you know the, the rest of it you just kind of fill in that's kind of the way the Steelers are here although Joe Hayden fell into their lap uh, that was uh, you know three or four years ago uh, yesterday that the Cleveland Browns released him uh, inexplicably when they didn't really have a replacement and they had a young roster that would have really benefited from having a Joe Hayden in the locker room uh, you add Steven Nelson uh, to the to the mix through free agency this is what teams do you, you go out and you get cornerback. Steven Nelson had fallen out of favor in Kansas City, much like Joe Hayden had in, in Cleveland. Um, you know, so the Steelers' two starting cornerbacks are both guys that their original teams gave up on. Wow. And, and so, you know, I, I think teams lose patience uh, with the cornerback position, maybe more so than any other position in the league, because, you know, it, it, you know, you think about the trials and tribulations of Artie Burns here, and I'm not going to pretend that Artie Burns was was a hit for the Steelers or anything like that. But I think early on, Artie Burns showed some promise. And then he had a bad year, and everybody's like, well, get rid of him. Got to get him out of here. And the Steelers were kind of in the same boat. They, they said, hey, we're not going to resign this guy for big money uh, because we, we're still not sure what he is. So you move on from a guy like that. That's not to say, even though he's got a torn ACL right now and is out for the year, uh, that Artie Burns wouldn't have had success this year with Chicago. This is what happens at the cornerback position. You know, guys like Steven Nelson 
whose Chiefs fans couldn't get rid of, couldn't wait to get rid of, yeah. is now, you know, Steeler fans can't imagine playing without him. Yeah. And more to your point about cornerbacks moving around, you think about over the past decade or so of watching the cornerback position, and you think about all the top guys, and you think about Richard Sherman, who moved from Seattle to San Francisco, and Richard Sherman, a, a, a you know, a, a guy that a lot of people were saying, you know, he's one of the best corners in the league. Probably, hey, probably a percent potential Hall of Famer. Right, a potential Hall of Famer right there. Jalen Ramsey, we talked about him on Morning Java. He's, he went from the Jaguars to the Rams. Darrell Rebus played for like four different teams, and he was by far the best. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. The, this is a thing across the NFL. Not only can most teams – and there's no, there's no cornerback factory that I can think of in the NFL. You know, the Steelers are known. You can, they can draft wide receivers. You know, you got teams that can get linebackers. They turn, they turn them out. They, pr- they produce edge rushers. You know, they get, they're, they're good at finding running backs. They're, I can't think of a team that consistently finds elite quarter, cornerbacks within their own system. Even the Patriots. They went and had to go and get Stephon Gilmore from the Bills. You know, and maybe the Bills are the team that picks them, right? Because they got Tredavious White and they got Stephon Gilmore. And if they had kept Stephon Gilmore, who knows what that tandem would be like? Jesus. But when you but think they about get it, pay him, and that's the problem. I mean, these yeah. guys, these guys want to get paid, and uh, you know, given the way the rules are set up, are you going to pay a guy at, at the cornerback position when the rules are set up against them? Obviously, in the case of a Stephon Gilmore, you probably should have. But again, you know, the Bills were kind of. Gilmore had been coming off a bad year in Buffalo when they, when they allowed him to leave. I mean, it, it happens at the cornerback position uh, because it's such a, so much of that position, A, is about confidence. B, and maybe even more importantly, it's about the system that they're playing. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I had we, I talked with Bob Labriola last week. We were talking about Bill Nunn, and he mentioned that, you know, when he, talked to, when he would talk to young scouts, he would tell them, especially when they're when they're looking at, at young defensive backs, don't assume that just because that cornerback's giving a ten yard cushion, that he's giving the cushion just because, you know, he doesn't feel he can he has the makeup speed on things. That might be how he's been co- being coached to play. You have to kind of figure, find these things out, and that's not easy to do. Um, you know, if you're watching a guy like that, you have to watch things like, uh, you know, how he drops his hips and and you know ankle flexion and that kind of things. Uh, and that doesn't always translate into just being a great player. Uh, it, it's such a tough position to evaluate. And I think the teams consistently across the league, if you look at this, um, they're willing to just roll the dice and move on to the next guy. I agree with that. I, I mean, not just to evaluate. I think it's one of the most underrated positions in sports to play as far as difficulty because – to, to do so much as a cornerback, it's not enough to be fast. It's not enough to be quick. You're honestly mirroring what, especially in man coverage, you're mirroring what a receiver's doing. And you're trying to contemplate, okay, how do I cut him off from what he actually is trying to do? You know, if, you, if you're establishing inside leverage, you have to maintain that, but you can't let him get behind you. If you're playing zone, you got to think, okay, now how do I, you know, chase him out of my zone and then take on anyone coming into my area? There's so many mental and physical factors that play into the cornerback position that in my time of watching it, it's I, it's where I think some of the best athletes in all of sports exist because of how just versatile they have to be how fast and quick they have to be and how smart they have to be to be great at that position yeah I agree it's it's you know it's one of those positions that I mean you could be a fantastic athlete and, and again how many of these guys go out there with just a little something wrong with them in terms mm-hmm. of physically and it, and it just affects their play. And, and again, 
you can have something uh, perfectly, you, you could have it defended perfectly and it might not matter. Right. Uh, because the quarterbacks are so good. The receivers coming out of college are so good that, uh, you know, big guys uh, that, that they can just out jump you. Uh, it, it's, it's really a tough position to play. It's an amazingly tough position, and, and, not to, and not to forget, as every football fan will know, this is the easiest time in the NFL history to, to throw the ball when it comes to the rules and the protections that are afforded to the passing offense because the NFL wants to see that a little bit more. So not only are the rules difficult, the job is difficult. And read, go read Dale's piece. At the, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's one of our, our top Steelers stories right now um, on the cornerback position, where they are, um, to get a sense of it. But just remember, the next time you're saying the Steelers can't draft cornerbacks, really look around the league and find who's been consistent at getting cornerbacks. Or did they just hit jackpot like the Seahawks did when they drafted Sherman in the fifth round? You know, or when the Dolphins drafted uh, – um, I'm sorry, what's his, what's his name again? Uh, the superstar uh, cornerback that they had, not Xavier, Xavier Rhodes. Huh? Xavier Howard. Howard. I almost called him Xavier Rhodes. Um, Xavier Howard, you know, they got him in the second round. If they thought he was going to be a truly elite corner, they would have got him in the first round. A lot, of, a lot of cornerbacks are swings and misses when you see other teams land these superstar guys, unless, except unless they're in the, the, the upper echelon of the top 10 picks. And even then, some teams still miss. The Steelers' highest cornerback pick has been Artie Burns, who was at what? 26. Yeah. So you know, the Steelers haven't, haven't taken a shot on that guy that high and missed. Other teams have taken plenty of shots and missed. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Watt piece that Tom Reed wrote for our website in detail after this. Here on the DK Steelers podcast, I'm your host, Chris Carter, joined by my friend and co-host, Dale Lally. So, Dale, big piece came out for, for our website last week. It was Tom Reed's piece on the Watt family, specifically talking about Derek, uh, Derek Watt and TJ Watt, two current Steelers now, and their upbringing as far as how they've been brothers and how they've been teammates. This is now the third time in their football careers that they've been teammates to me that's a little insane, in my opinion. I mean, high school, college, and pros, that's like a dream come true or a nightmare if you hate your brother. <laughs> well, they, they don't hate each other, and that's, that's pretty obvious. And, uh, you know, watching them work against each other Saturday or Friday night after practice, they stayed out on the field. Derek Watt had been slowed a little bit by an offseason surgery, but you know, he's now been cleared for, for full contact. And you saw, you know, Derek and TJ stay af long after practice and work on blocking and, and, you know, at the point of attack and those kind of things. Uh, these guys are very close. As you mentioned, you know, they've been teammates uh, uh, three different times now. Obviously, uh, there's just two years separating the two, and, and so there, there's, a, there's a close bond there between them. Uh, you know, a little bit different between perhaps T.J. and J.J. Uh, Watt. J.J. Watt's six years older than T.J. Watt, so it's, right. a, it's almost a, you know, really big brother thing, and he is the biggest of the – of the of the three far. but I, I just thought Tom's story was fascinating um, you know we talked about it um, you know before Tom started he was kind of picking my brain for some different ideas on hey what hasn't been done yet 
uh, regarding the Steelers. And I said, well, this is one that, that you know, I, I don't think anybody's Why done. Why hasn't been done yet? Yeah, because, you know, and, and TJ, you know, in his first couple of years, he talked about this last week when we talked to him, um, you know, his first couple of years here, he was just like, I just wanted to be quiet, listen. I didn't want to, you know, rock the boat or anything like that. And so he was, he was a tough nut to crack when it came to getting any information out of in terms of his background. And I think you, you find some, some reasons why that is uh, in this story that Tom wrote. Um, you know, when, you're, when your oldest brother is a three-time defensive player of the year in the NFL, you want to talk about pressure. Yeah. Um, you know, you're going to be the, you know, everybody's going to look at you a little bit differently because of that. And if you don't live up to that standard, they're going to be disappointed. And so, you know, TJ Watts, a fan, you know, a fantastic, fantastic football player, but you know, even now he's still, well, he's, you know, JJ's little brother. Um, now he may have surpassed JJ in terms of, uh, of overall play on the football field at this point, but he's still going to be JJ's little brother. Now imagine being Derek Watt, who's, who's a fullback of all things. Um, you know, how are you getting any kind of recognition doing that? And, and I thought, you know, something that is, uh, you know, the, Mrs. Watts said regarding that, um, you know, when people were talking about JJ at some point, and they said, they, they, they said, complimented her, you guys did a great job with JJ. He's fantastic. And she's like, well, the other two are fantastic too. You know, it, it's, it's really a fascinating piece. I, I, I think everybody should go read it uh, on DKPittsburghSports.com. Tom did a great job getting a, a lot of information out of the family, a lot of insight, a lot of inside stories, a lot of uh, just what makes the Watt brothers tick. And I mean, it's also really interesting, you know, hearing their father talk about, you know, seeing the Manning brothers and how they are. And then he says he, he turns around and he sees he sees his 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 sons beating each other up and it's just like how are we going to get to that level? But I think part of what made the Manning brothers cool was their charm. You know the, the ESPN commercial when they're following Archie Manning around and you see uh, you know Eli and Peyton like picking on each other in the background. And though of course that's scripted, that was part of the charm of these guys that they could mess with each other. And yeah, they're professional athletes and superstars and and, and multimillionaires. But at the same time, it's like you see how human and funny they are. And I think that that's, that, that relationship is part of why America adored them and why I think America will adore the, the whole Watt family because everyone's adored J.J. Watt. He was – not only is he a superstar player, he was helping people out when Houston was devastated by a hurricane. He's been, a, you know, Mr. Humanitarian. He's been – he was Captain America for, for the NFL, you know, for quite some time. Um, and now you have two, his two younger brothers on the same team – I just think there's there's limitless potential as far as who they can reach and, and how how they can be a, a, a shining star for the NFL to say this is what football could do for a family. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting to watch the dynamic of the brothers. And I don't have a brother, uh, but uh, you know, if I had one, I probably would act very much the same way that those guys do. I'm, I'm kind of a, you know. I, I like to jab people a little bit here and there as, as oh, people who listen to Chris I and I a lot. <laughs> no, and that's how, you know, that's how I would treat my brother. I, I act that way. I have a sister and I, you know, I'll, I'll poke her with a stick every once in a while, but yeah, I, you I know, it's not the same you know. when you have, when you have brothers. I mean, I think brothers are, are, it's just different. Um, you know, you, you have that bond and, you know, I, I think that, you know, when you have that brotherly bond, you, it goes beyond football. And I think this obviously does. But I think, you know, when you have it in, in that locker room, I think it's, it's, really, it's really cool to see. 
And TJ Watt uh, is one of the most respected guys in that, in that Steelers locker room, because I think everybody there sees his work ethic. Uh, you know, they see how hard he works at it, even though he's one of the best players in the league, he continues to work and hone his craft. And when you had Derek Watt to that as well, who's, you know, led the NFL in special teams tackles last year uh, and gives you some, uh, some additional, uh, gives you additional athleticism at the, at the fullback position. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they use him. I would expect them to, to split him out wide and do some things and, you know, uh, do some things they couldn't do. Not necessarily right. with, with, you know, because Rosie Nix wasn't capable, but he wasn't one of their best options in some of those, in some of those regards, you know, Rosie Nix, could catch the ball, but he wasn't great at it. You know, he wasn't better than Antonio Brown and, and some of the other options that they had there. Well, now that you don't have that necessarily, that, that funnel that you have, you know, force feed the football, you can spread things a lot around a little bit more. And I think Derek Watt's going to be a big piece for this team this year. And, and I think you said it right. Roosevelt Knicks could catch the football. Derek Watt does catch the football. Yeah. I, He's averaged 15 yards of catch in his career at the fullback position. That's now, not it's not a large volume of passes, but it's still – he's a weapon. Right. And I think that versatility is going to be huge for the team. But speaking of work ethic, because you talk about T.J. Watt, that seems to be the M.O. for the entire family. In this article that Tom wrote, he goes to the trainer that worked with, with them since high school. You know, it's fascinating to see the amount of effort that they put in for years upon years before, you know, before they were in college – you know, to, to, to show up early in the morning at 530 in the morning to, to be able to work out with, with and, and get to the level. And then, you know, when you're in college and continuing that work ethic and, and pushing yourself like that, you know, like, like you said earlier, J.J. Watt is a different story. When, you know, they said when they first saw him, they were like, oh, we could do something with you because of how big he was and how long he was. And, and, but T.J. Watt, he's still big, but he's not J.J. big, but he's still going to be a guy that's going to be like, hey, you know what? That's, you know, this guy, this guy is going to be one of the best players in the NFL. I just, I'm fascinated just by how all of them have, t- have taken on that charge to, to, to perfect their crafts every day with, with how they keep approaching it. Yeah, me as well. And, and uh, if you haven't read that, uh, that article by Tom Reed on DKPittsburghSports.com, uh, I suggest you get over there and read it now. It's, it's fantastic. Again, Tom did a, a great job researching this and getting a lot of uh, talking to a lot of different people about this, including uh, their, you know, their high school coach, uh, mom and dad, the high school coach, as you mentioned, the strength coach uh, that they work with uh, some, some, some childhood friends. So there's a lot in there, a lot of meat on that bone. It's a great read. Absolutely. Go to DKPittsburghSports.com right now and check it out for, uh, you know, from Tom Reed. We're going to take one more break. When I come back, we're going to be doing, don't get me started. I got a lot to say right after this. Welcome back to the DK Steelers podcast. I'm Chris Carter, and you're listening to Don't Get Me Started. Don't get me started with the whole stick to sports thing and keep politics out of my sports. I'm getting into this because Vince Williams, Steelers linebacker, uh, answered a question that I asked him over the weekend when I was, you know, part of the, pr- the press availability 
Um, to, you know, when him and Cam Hayward were talking about what the Steelers are doing and their stances against social injustice and fighting for civil rights and what they're doing in this point in time, because we all see it. We all see it. There's protests. There's um, there's protests in professional sports. There's protests in the streets. There's people talking about it. It's an important time right now, especially in sports, to to and how and how athletes are using their platform. And when I asked Vince William what it was, what he felt like it was to be in this time. Um, he, he said the following, I'm encouraged by it. A lot of times people say that sports should stay out of politics and politics should stay out of sports. But if you look at history, that's never been the case. And he went on to talk about how he, he has, he's always had politically charged tweets and, and, and this, that, and the third. He said other players like Ramon Foster, they've done the same thing. But the point is, and I'm this is this. Don't get me started. Isn't just about what people that, that I say that don't like. But this got me started because he made a great point in the history of sports. The politics has always been there, and I'll also say this: the notion politics is politics involves you know candidates involves naming specific. Are you running for president? Who's running for governor? Who's running for senator? Those type of things, but. I think that when people are talking about major issues, about important issues, about issues of life and death, of quality of life, of this this group of people should be treated like everybody else, and they're not. When people talk about that, that's not politics. That's human rights issues. That's civil rights issues. Those aren't things to be said like, hey, you know, you're on one side, I'm on the other. We just need to agree to disagree there, and everything will be fine. No, because if we did that... Jackie Robinson never would have broken the color barrier because someone said you shouldn't have Jackie Robinson. I, you know, and the person said yes, we should have Jackie Robinson. You know what? We'll agree to disagree, and he'll never get in the league. Sports has always pushed these conversations, and why? Because it's one of the industries where black people have been able to force their way into because of how talented we've been in throughout throughout history, and that when we've gotten there we've had some sense of, of power, of a foundation that we can say, you know what, we can say what we need to say here. Even before Jackie Robinson, Paul Robeson, a football player, a lawyer, a thespian, he stood up for rights at all times. And in many ways, he was the forefather for Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson met with Paul Robeson. They would strategize together. You look throughout American history and all the, the messages we've got from not just sports, but the athletes that play them, that furthered the conversation, the importance of race relations in America, and fighting back racism and white supremacy. Jackie Robinson fought that. And, and I know some people are going to bring up, well, Jackie Robinson, he stuck to sports. He didn't, he didn't talk about things. Well, that's only because you're choosing to look at one part of his career. In the first year or two of Jackie Robinson, yeah, he was he was quiet because that was Branch Rickey's strategy for the Dodgers. He said, you know what, you got to endure this stuff. You're the first person, you know, don't make too much noise that distracts from your play. Jackie did that. Branch Rickey turned him loose after he established himself. Jackie got in umpire's faces. He was he was very outspoken. He was definitely involved in in civil rights in, in civil rights efforts and in politics when it came to actual political candidates. You can read more about that in a great book if you want to read. Um, full dissidents by Howard Bryant or his book The Heritage that talks about all the history of black athletes and people of color who have used their platforms to fight for uh, for social justice and against racism in our in our in our country. But the fact of the matter is, is that when people say stick to sports 
and that sports shouldn't mix with politics. It's such a joke. Because what you're saying is to people that are saying, like Colin Kaepernick, the man who really sparked the movement that we're seeing right now, his protests changed the game when we're talking about how athletes approach talking about racism and approach how they want to get their message out and use their platform as, a, as an athlete that plays on a stage where millions upon millions of people pay to, to, to watch. He changed that. And to get there, we had to come from a, an entire history of people to push that conversation along. Whether it was Jackie Robinson, whether it was John, John Carlos or Tommy Smith who put the black fist up at the 68 Mexico Olympus, whether it was Muhammad Ali and challenging and saying he wasn't gonna go, uh, he wasn't gonna go fight in the Vietnam War, whether it's um, Arthur Ashe, whether it's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Russell, Jim Brown, all throughout history, there have been athletes that have that have that have stood up and said, "We gotta take a stand here, and we have to acknowledge this." And that's part of what sports has always been. If you don't like it. Then you want you either you weren't paying attention or you've always not liked it, and maybe you need to check yourself. But athletes absolutely deserve the right. They have the right. It's not about deserving the right. They have the right. They deserve the opportunity to be heard as well. Because underneath the jersey that they wear, they are still a person. And they are still a person who, when they take their, their jersey off, they can still be accosted and treated treated poorly and you know, take and exploited and take advantage of in the outside world. Case in point, Milwaukee Bucks have players who've been, who've had run-ins with the police with police officers who discriminate against them, who just use police brutality against them. They didn't die, but they certainly experienced it in their life. And that's the thing is that a lot of people deal with that. I've dealt with that. I've been shoved against a wall while wearing a suit and not bothering them. I had broken no laws and, and faced that. A lot of black people have stories like that where you survive, but that stuff, that sticks with you. And then that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to housing discrimination, when it comes to education issues where certain districts aren't funded as well as other districts, when it comes to health care and who gets better health care in this country. There's all sorts of issues. They're saying for these people are going through these problems. We're, we are calling attention to these problems because we have the platform to do so. There's nothing wrong with an athlete doing that. Or anyone involved in sports, or anyone at all, an entertainer. If you're a mu if you play music, people use their music all the time to address things like that. What I often finds, and this is this is a both side thing, what I often find is that people just want the entertainer or the athlete to shut up when they disagree. When you disagree with them, case in point, I hear stick to sports a lot uh, when I, when uh, you know when Colin Kaepernick speaks or LeBron James speaks. But I don't hear that when Dana White, the president of the UFC, speaks at the Republican National Convention. On the flip side, Herschel Walker. And, you know, he's an outspoken Republican. He wants to vote for Trump. That's his right. And people say, hey, man, shut up. Hey, I'm not saying shut up. People might say they disagree with you. They might say these are the things that you said that were incorrect. But... You absolutely every athlete, while they're playing, before they're playing, after they're playing, deserves the right to use their voice like every other American citizen. And if they've worked to have a platform where they are being watched by millions of Americans and people across the world, 
they have every right to use to use that platform to speak on things. And if you don't like it, sorry, because because everyone else gets to gets to use their platform to talk, they should be able to as well. And we've seen American history and progress through people using sports as a vehicle. To be honest, I don't think we'd be where we are today without sports. Be you know, be getting into these topics. If Jackie Robinson didn't show people who thought, you know, black people, yeah, they're just not smart enough to play baseball. They're just not good enough to play baseball. And then he proved that wrong. And then people were like, oh, you know what? Maybe they can. You know, for a long time, black black people weren't thought that they were smart enough to be quarterbacks. There's still that narrative with people who refuse to say Lamar Jackson was good coming into his draft and he should be a wide receiver. There's still people who say that kind of stuff. That's the part of that's part of the message here is that. Sports has always been a vehicle where we can address civil rights, human rights, injustices, and challenging narratives that often remain silent in other forums. So don't tell an athlete to stick to sports. They, they get to say whatever they want to say, just like you get to say whatever you say. Hey, if you disagree with me, tell me. Let me know. But best believe, when we have that conversation, I'm not going to tell you that you don't have the right to speak. I'm going to say, all right. Here's where I disagree with you. And frankly, I've had people say things to me that show me a little bit like, okay, it's not just disagreeing with you. It's vehemently disagreeing with you. It's about, uh, it's, it's about okay, you think that I'm lesser of a person than you. I've, I've been called the N-word. I, and and not just, not just you know, as a, as a broadcaster in personal life, in sports, um, you know, I've, I've faced that, that kind of discrimination. And I'm telling you right now, if that's part of your perspective, that's part of your perspective, we'll have that conversation. But the point is, free speech is free speech. Everybody gets it. Now, if you're calling for violence, if you're calling for, um, you know, if you're, if you're, call, if you're calling for, for, you know, extermination of people, and the, that's when it draw, that's where the lines draw. No, you don't get to, 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 to call out for violence against these people. But the point is, is that's, that's not what the athletes are doing. That's not what Vince Williams and Cam Hayward were doing when they were talking about we need to we can't be blind to what's happening to black people across this country. That's not what Colin Kaepernick did when he peacefully protested and then was blackballed out of the league. That's not what Muhammad Ali did when he when he when he made, said I'm black and I'm proud and I'm pretty and no matter what you say I'm going to be who I am and I'm not fighting in a war that I don't believe in. That's not what LeBron James is doing. He's never he's never been part of any violence. He's just, he's just, he says his opinion, and with other NBA players, he protests, as as the rest of the NBA did, as the MLB joined him, as the WNBA joined him, and as the NHL joined them. And it doesn't have to even be black people. It's people across all the sports. If you think that you got something important to say and something important to fight for, fight for it. Use your platform. Don't stick to sports. We're better than that. That's what that's part of why I'm proud to be an American. It's because we are better than that and we need to continue to be better than that. And those that think that we shouldn't be, we need to fight against them. When I say fight, I mean when you see it, call it out. Say, "Hey man, that's not acceptable." But y'all got me started. And this has been Don't Get Me Started, the ending segment of the DK Steelers podcast here on dkpittsburghsports.com. If you like the show, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Really appreciate all the support we've been receiving there. We'll be back here tomorrow talking with Dale Lolly more about the Steelers and the progress with training camp.